0: If you're visiting with us, uh, my name is Ron Cool, and I'm one of the pastors here as well. There's a story that's told of, uh, of a, a hot uh, debate discussion that was taking place at, uni- uh, at Oxford University in England uh, a number of years ago. Uh, the question that was on the table was, was this: What makes Christianity different from other religions? The faculty there at Oxford was discussing this question of what makes Christianity unique? What makes Christianity different? How does it fit in? And we could say, well, Christianity is true and the others aren't. But, but they were saying, As a, in what it teaches, in the teachings of Christianity, are the teachings of Christianity unique? Is there any way in which they're special? And some of the people said, well, it's, it's what we call the incarnation, that Jesus was born, that God became flesh, God became man. And another says, no, there are, there are religions where that's taught excuse me, there are other religions where that, where that kind of thing is taught. And somebody else said, well, it's the resurrection of Jesus, that God died but came back to life. And again, uh, people said, no, there are other religions that teach that. Phoenix rising from the ashes and so on. And there are others that, that teach that sort of thing. The debate went on and on and on. And uh, excuse me again. Hopefully, that'll be better. There we go. I think we got it. Uh, The debate went on and on. And then C.S. Lewis, a brilliant defender of Christianity, heard the the, uh, noise that was going on. And he walked into the room and he said, what's the rumpus? He's English, so he talks funny. But he said, what's the rumpus all about? And they said, well, we're talking about what makes Christianity unique. And he said, well, that's easy. That's easy. It's grace. He says, the thing that Christianity teaches that really no other world religion teaches is grace is that at his core, our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of forgiveness. Our God is a God of kindness and mercy. Our God is a God who comes to us and gives us new life. And, and he's really on to something. I mean, I think that's exactly right. If you think about the other major religions of the world, if you think about Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or, or Judaism, in all of these religions, the main focus on what we have to do to get to God Right In Islam, you've got your five pillars. You have to do these things. In in religions, you have karma that if you do the right thing, then you can keep climbing higher and higher until you get to nirvana. But almost every world religious system is all about what we have to do to climb up to God, what we have to do to get there. But in Christianity, at the heart of Christianity is the amazing announcement that God comes to us in his grace and he lifts us up to him. That God does for us what we cannot do for him. That God is a God who is full of grace. And that is absolutely amazing. And this is the core of Christianity. Friends, for me, this is why I am a Christian. And this is what I want for you more than anything else, to understand grace. So we're going to talk about grace this morning. We're doing this just to kind of remind you. As part of a, uh, a part of a full series talking about the attributes or the characteristics of God. We started off three or four weeks ago with talking about the fact that God is always the same. And we said that God is immutable. All right. Immutable, unchangeable. God is always the same. And then we look at the fact that God knows it all, that he is omniscient, that he knows all things. He is omniscient. He is. He knows it all. And, and then we looked at the fact that God is always in control. That our God is a big God who's always in control. And we said that he is omnipotent, all-powerful, all right? Those are the big words that we use. Then last week, Daniel talked about the fact that our God is righteous, that he always does the right things. This morning, we're going to look at the fact that God is full of grace. Now, before we get to that, I want to give you something else to kind of try to tie the whole series together a little bit. A little bit of a sideline side here. But, but to try to kind of give you a, a handle on this, none of us can really remember six things. That's just more than most of us can remember, all right? And, and so I, I just kind of wanted to tell you that as we think about these attributes of God, there's kind of a way to divide them into two groups. And, and, and the two parts. The first three that we did, and we never said this before, but this we actually had a pattern that we were following, are the attributes of what we call the greatness or the majesty of God, all right? These are the the bigness of God, right? This is God's immutability, his unchangeableness, his omniscience, that he knows everything, that he's omnipotent, that he's all-powerful. These are all great things about God. These are his power, right? This is his majesty. This is his amazingness. This is his bigness. And so we say God is great. But we also say that God is good. All right. And and the last three that we're going to look at, the one that Daniel looked at last week and then the next two weeks are are righteous, that God is righteous, that God is gracious and that God is faithful. And and, and so that's why we say our God is great and our God is good. And we need both of these parts of God. They're not really different parts, but we need all of these aspects of God. I mean, if God were just great, if God were powerful, but he weren't good, it, it, it wouldn't leave us safe. Right. I mean, he would just be able to crush us and destroy us, and we couldn't depend on him if he didn't have those attributes of goodness. And if God were just good but not great, it might be nice that he'd care about us, but he couldn't do anything about it. And and, and so what we want to say is God is both great and good, and a prayer that many of us were taught by our parents when we were little kids. God is great and God is good. Let us thank him for our food. It has a whole lot of theology in it. I mean, it's got a whole lot of truth in it. God is great, that he is unchanging, and he is all-knowing, and he is all-powerful. But God is also good. He is righteous, and he is gracious, and he is faithful. And and, and so when you think about that, of who God is, remember great and good. And then kind of think about what are the characteristics in each of those areas. And that'll help you kind of try to hold the whole thing together, all right? So, today we're on graciousness, that God is full of grace. And this is something the Bible talks about over and over again. Even though Judaism today basically does teach that it's not what you believe, but how you live, that saves you. There's a lot of grace in the Old Testament. God is a God of grace from the very beginning. Exodus 34, verse six, verses 6 and 7. This is God. Moses said to God, God, show me yourself. And God shows himself to Moses, and he tells Moses who he is. And this is so significant, because how does God describe himself, all right? What does God think is important about himself? Look at this. And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. And you think, we might, you know, if it was us, we'd say the powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, uh, immutable God, right? I mean, we'd go that route. But what does he say? He says, no, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. God says, that's who I am at my core. I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, <clears throat> maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. God says, that's who I am. Yo, know, yeah, I'm all powerful. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all knowing and I'm all those other things. But you got to know I am a God of grace. Psalm 103 verses 8 through 12 Psalmist says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Some of those same words we heard from Exodus 34. He will not always accuse. He will always tell us what's wrong, nor will it harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Our God is a God who forgives our sins. Our God is a God of grace who reaches out in love to us. In the New Testament, the grace of God, not just the word grace, the the grace of God is talked about 127 times. All right? 127 times. I'm not going to read all of them, don't worry. But just a couple of them, just to touch on, just a few. John 1, verse 14. At the beginning of the service, Kevin read this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Righteousness and grace, right? God is full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is a gift by God's grace that He washes away all of our sin. Again, it's not us climbing up to God, it's God reaching out to us. James agrees, James four verse six, "But God gives us more grace. This is why Scripture says, "God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives us more grace." And Peter. 1 Peter 5, verse 10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He is the God of all grace. God is full of grace. I could go on. Paul ends almost all of his New Testament letters with Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Romans, first and second Corinthians, with grace to you, grace to you, grace to you. Paul's passion in life was for people to understand God's amazing grace. And that's my desire and my passion this morning. What I want to do is just say, you know, God is full of grace and ask one question. What does it mean? What does it mean for us to understand that? What does it mean for us to believe that, to grasp onto that? This is the core of Christianity, friends. This is what it's all about, that God is full of grace. And as we think about what grace is, I actually want to start again, and I've done this a couple of times, with a few things that grace is not. Okay, a few things that grace is not. We've got to make sure that we understand this correctly. A couple of things, three things actually. First of all, grace is not weakness. Grace is not the opposite of God's power, okay? Sometimes I think we think that way, that we think, you know, there's the world of power. And the world in which we live in, that's kind of what run things, right? It's power, it's crushing, there's a bully on the playground, there's power. And that bully has the right to punch us. And God has the right to punch us. But our prayer is that God uses his weakness. That God sets aside his power and instead chooses his weakness. Because grace is just weakness and grace says it's okay and I'm not going to hit you. That's not grace. Grace is power. I want to suggest and I want to tell you that I believe grace is more powerful than any other force in the universe. Grace is the power. You see, raw power, by raw power, somebody can make somebody else conform on the outside, right? By raw power, I can make you do what I want you to do. But by God's grace, he gets inside of us. It's the power not just to change our outsides, but God's grace is the power to get inside of us and change us from the inside out, change us to the very core of our being. Friends, that's real power. And we need to understand that when we talk about giving somebody grace and we talk about experiencing grace, it's not weakness. But it is the biggest power in the world. It is the most powerful force to change the world. I really believe that. And that's God's plan. He's going to change the world through the power of grace. Not nuclear weapons, but the power of grace. Grace. Grace is not weakness. Grace is not God lowering his standards, okay? Again, sometimes I think we have the idea of, okay, God knows that, that we're supposed to get 100%. We're supposed to be perfect, but none of us are perfect. So God says, fine, I'll settle for 70%. You've been in classes maybe where the teacher gives an exam and says, this must have been harder than I thought because the best was the 70 And so I'll, I'll lower the scale. And we'll make 50 passing, and then everybody between 50 and 70 passes, okay, and, and we'll move everything around like that. but that, that is not what God does. As Daniel talked about last week, God is completely righteous, and, and God will not, out of his love, allow sin to remain forever. God doesn't just allow that to hang around. No God out of his love says one day all sin. God cannot put up with it. Because he loves us too much. God cannot, and so it's not that God is by grace lowering his standards. You know what grace does? Grace is God reaching down to lift us up. By God's grace, I get a hundred. By God's grace, I score perfect. By God's grace, I am absolutely perfectly acceptable. And that's an amazing thing. That is an amazing thing. It's not God lowering his standards, it's not God saying, it doesn't matter how you do. It's God saying, okay, I'm going to raise you up so that you can experience the life I want you to experience. And then third, it's not God accepting sin. Sometimes we get a little too loose in our language. And we say, well, by grace, God accepts sin. No, God never accepts sin. God accepts us when we're sinners. But that's not God accepting sin. God forgives our sin. And then God moves us on. Sometimes we fall into that trap of saying, well, hey, look, as somebody said 400 years ago, 500 years ago, the world is wonderfully arranged. I like to sin and God likes to forgive. And so it works out perfectly, right? No. No, sin is, is not. God does not accept sin. Grace is not God accepting sin. God accepts us in our sin. But then he changes us. And he moves us. Grace is not weakness it is not God lowering the standard it's it's not God accepting sin what is it Uh, loose Meads in one of his books says that there are three faces of grace three aspects of grace that we need to think about the first is the one we probably think about more uh, than any other it's that grace is pardon grace is the amazing thing by which God forgives our sins Ephesians 2 verse eight it is by grace you have been saved and this is not of yourself that anyone can boast But it's grace that washes our sins away. It is grace that gives us new life. It is grace that forgives us. That is at the heart of what God did through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, so I don't have to pay for my sins. And this is one of those truths that on the one hand, a lot of us kind of know in our heads. But if you're like me, I become so good at dealing with my sin on my own that I I, I really honestly sometimes forget how much I need God's grace. And so I want to take a little bit of time and just recognize that the Bible teaches that we've all sinned. The, the fact of the matter is we've all sinned. We are all broken people. And now you're sitting there going, yeah, I know. But I want you to understand that that we're dead in our sins, okay? That there's nothing we can do about it. That that there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. You see, for most of us, it's amazing to me. we we, we already by two and three years old. I'm seeing this again as I look at grandkids now. Kaylee and I were together yesterday and and Noah did something naughty. The other day we were together, Noah did something a little naughty. I can't believe it, my grandson, but he did. and, And Kaylee said, you know, I wonder who taught him that. I think she was thinking it was me. And I said, nobody had to teach him that, okay? Nobody had to teach him that. Guess what? He's a sinner. He just gets this. This is the way he is. You don't teach your kids to be naughty. They're going to do it all on their own. You don't, nobody has to teach them anything. They just, that's our nature. But we are so good at covering it up. For me, when I find myself in a situation where I've done something wrong, there are three games that I play. Three strategies, three cards that I lay out. The first one is denial. I didn't throw that block at my brother. I didn't do anything wrong. I never said that. Oh, I didn't mean it that way. You misheard me. No, you got this all wrong. No, I had it ready. I, I sent it in the email. I put it in the mail, wasn't it? Did it not get there? Something must have happened. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't spill those raspberries at Costco yesterday. That one didn't work because there were other people back there. So I couldn't use that one. But, you know, we try that denial game, right? We say, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. But sometimes we get kind of aware that we did. So then we go to game number two. Game number two is the blame game. Okay, I spilled the raspberries, but it wasn't my fault. You know those containers? They're just a mess. I mean, they're so weak. I had it by the end, it started to slip out of my hands, and it was there. And there was this woman in this cart, and she was pushing me along, and all of a sudden, what could I do? There they were all over the ground. It wasn't, it wasn't my fault, don't you see? Don't you see? It wasn't my fault. I would have never done that if my wife hadn't done this. I would have never thrown the block at my brother's head if he hadn't thrown one at me. First, you see, I'm not responsible I am not a bad person. I am not a bad sinner. Okay, I'm a little sinner. Sometimes I, I don't do things as well as I should, but, but I'm not bad. And so we blame it on others. And then the third thing that we do is we compare ourselves. Okay, I, I might have spilled the raspberries, but I, but I didn't spill the ketchup. I mean, that would have made a horrible mess. Orange juice? Can you imagine? What, I mean, it wasn't as bad as what some people did. I, I mean, did you see what that person did? Did you see what she did? Did you see what he did? Don't don't you see? And and, and you see, I'm not that bad. And we do all of this work, all of this work, and you know what the problem is? Is it keeps us in jail. All of our work are trying to say, I don't belong in jail. All of our work is saying, I don't belong in dead. I'm I'm not there. It keeps us dead, but the Bible, because it keeps us from experiencing God's grace. But the Bible says over and over again, we are not just sinners. We are dead in our sin. We can't do anything about it. We are dead. And I want you to think about it. You know how dead you are in your sins? Apart from Christ, I am as dead as Adolf Hitler and Jeffrey Dahmer and any bad person you want to name. The guy who pulled the trigger in Newtontown, Connecticut, killing those first graders. Guess what? I'm dead just like he is apart from Christ. I don't like to think that way. I want to say, no, bad people go in one bin. I mean, there are bad people that we all know. and They'll go in one bin. And I'm, I'm, I'm bad, but I'm not bad, bad. I'm, I'm kind of, you know what? Dead is dead. Ephesians 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your sins. Not kind of dead, not mostly dead, not sort of dead. You were dead, dead. You were as dead in your sins apart from Christ as Adolf Hitler, as Jeffrey Dahmer, as the worst person you can think of. Dead is dead, friends. And apart from Christ, we're that dead. And if we will just acknowledge that, God's grace steps in. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that we have been saved. Friends, the reason I get passionate about this is that I think, like I say, so many of us, we keep ourselves locked in jail. Because we refuse to just say, you know what, I'm dead. We keep ourselves dead because we refuse to just say, I've blown it, God, I am so sorry. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us all sin, First John 1 says, that God will wash away all of those sins. God forgives us by his grace. The question is whether we'll accept it. The question is, I, I had a great picture of this. I heard a great story about this last week. My aunt Arlene died last week. Um, and at the funeral last week, Saturday, my cousin Bob spoke. Uh, Bob told a story about a time when he was about 10 years old. Bob was about 10 years old, and, uh, and, and he was uh, at home. It was a beautiful summer day. His brother, Jack, uh, Jack was a couple years younger. Um, Jack was about 8, and Bob was about 10. Bob said they went out, and they uh, lived just down 68th Street here. This was before there were houses all over the place. But they went out, and they found a field, and they were going to play baseball. So one of them would hit, and the other one would shag balls, right? The other one would hit, you know, you'd have a bucket of balls, and you'd hit them out there, shag them, bring them back, switch spots, and, and they just practice bas- baseball. He said it was perfect. They played for two hours. And he said then they were walking back home, and just about the time they got home, Jack, the younger brother, my cousin, said to Bob, the older brother, four words that no older brother can ignore. I'll bet you can't. I'll bet you can't. I'll bet you can't hit the ball over the house. Well, Bob had no choice. I, I mean, you can't let that go from a little brother, right? I mean, I bet, you I, bet I can. Jack, you go run around the back of the house. <laughs> so Jack's around the back of the house. Bob says he's standing there. He's got a baseball. It's a baseball, a hard one. He got the bat there. He says, Bob's a pretty good baseball player. He has a bat on his shoulder, takes a ball, throws it up in the air. Boom, smack, Psh, right over the house. Didn't see that coming, did you? It was right over the house. He made it perfect. He was like, yeah, I told you I could do it. Jack came running around the house, in the ball and said, bet you can't do it again. This is where it goes south. Jack runs back. Bob takes the ball, throws it up in the air, hits it. Smack, line drive. Picture window, seven feet by five feet shattered. Bob was a good kid. Jack, not so much. Bob was a good kid. (laughs) And he just immediately felt terrible. Just started to bawl. He said he just, the tears are running down his face. He can't believe he did this. He knew he shouldn't have done it. And he's just so sorry. And he runs to the back door of the house where they go in. And when he gets there, his mom, my aunt Arlene, she greeted him. She got down and just hugged him. And he said he was just weeping, and she just held him. She said, it's okay. It's okay. She rubbed his head. And after a couple of minutes, she took him by the hand and said, let's go clean up the mess. And they picked it up, and Uncle Bill and Aunt Arlene replaced the window, and they never talked about it again. Bob said, I learned that day not to hit windows or uh, baseballs over the house. But more importantly, I learned about grace. I learned about what grace feels like. It's to know you're dead. And then feel the arms of God around you. Friends, we've all busted the window. You can say, well, my window wasn't as big as the window you busted, Ron. I, I haven't done as much bad as you. You can say, oh, I didn't mean to. I, it, it's somebody else's fault. But, you know, my brother, double dog, dared me. I mean, he said, I bet you can't. I, I, no. No. God is full of grace. And he will wash away all of our sins. And the only question is whether we will accept it. Whether we will let him raise us back to new life. Whether we will get to the place of just saying, God, I quit so that you can. I stop so that you can start. And in me, just make me new and give me an experience freedom. Friends, I want you so much to experience grace. I want you so much. I don't tell you that and say, you got to take your sin seriously because I want you to feel your sin. I want you to feel grace. But the only way to get to feeling grace is to be honest about our sin is to be honest about who we are and what we've done. And then to say, Oh Jesus. And then let him just wrap his arms around us and let him say, it's okay. It's all right. And to let him take care of us. Our God is full of grace and that grace is pardon. And there is nothing like it to know, to know that you are forgiven friends. I believe it. I get a hundred. I know my final test score already. I get a hundred because of Jesus. And it's okay because of Jesus. Grace is pardon. Second grace is power. It's pardon for what we've done, but grace is also power today. See, God doesn't just come to say to us, I forgive your sins and now don't do it again. Don't try to hit the baseball. No, God helps us. God helps us have the strength not to hit the baseball towards the house. God helps us have the strength to love those around us, to serve those who are hard to serve, to give when we don't feel like we can give anymore, to become the people God calls us to be. The fact of the matter is if you have ever tried to be good, you know what it's like to feel powerless. Because on our own, we can't do it. On our own, I cannot be the husband I should be and I want to be. I cannot be the father or the son I should be and I want to be. I cannot be the, the colleague, the coworker that I should be. And I, I cannot do that on my own. But by God's grace, God's grace is also power. And at the end of those letters, when Paul is saying grace to you, I think this is the kind of grace he's talking about. It's grace that is power. Grace that is power. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. Some people suggest that his thorn in the flesh was his eyesight, that Paul was almost blind. And he prayed, God, please take away this thorn in the flesh. I want to be able to see. Some people said it was depression. Some people suggested it was malaria. Some said it was maybe a group of folks who were chasing Paul. We don't know what it was, but we know it was terrible. And we know that three times Paul prayed and pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But God didn't take it away. Instead, God says this. But God said to me, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take away the pain. I'm going to give you grace to endure. I'm going to give you grace to walk. I'm going to give you grace to love. I'm going to give you grace to serve. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Grace is power. And I need that power. I really want to be the kind of pastor, person, husband that God wants me to be. I want to be the dad God wants me to be. I want to be the friend God wants me to be. I want to do better. And by grace, there is power. Grace is pardon, grace is power, and then grace is promise. Grace is promise. Grace isn't just about what God did in the past about my past. It's not just about what God does right now, but it's grace is also God's promise. And again, I think those end of those letters where Paul is saying grace to you, it's also hang in there because grace is promising us that someday everything will be all right. We see a picture of the fullness of God's grace in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is heaven, man. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It's the day when all things are made new. Verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. This is what's going to happen someday. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Someday God will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning, or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Huh? Grace is God's pardon for my past. It's God's power in my present, but it's also God's promise for my future. And when I live in the, in the reality of that promise, it changes how I live today because I don't have to worry about winning today. I don't have to worry about winning in this world because I know someday I am going to be in a place where there is no more death and no more divorce and no more pain and no more cancer and no more struggles and no more hurts. And and just knowing that that's where God is taking me by his grace gives me strength. So a wonderful illustration of that this week. Um, It's a woman by the name of Florence Chadwick. In the 1950s, she was a a great distance swimmer. She swam the English Channel 22 miles each way. She swam it twice, once from England to the continent, once from the continent, not on the same day, but from the continent back to England, 22 miles. She discovered that there was a a place called Uh, Catalina Island. Some of you have maybe been there. It's just off the coast of Southern California. You see where Los Angeles is there. It's 21 miles. Okay. It's 21 miles from Catalina Island to Los Angeles. And and in 1952, no woman had ever been able to swim it. Okay. No women, several guys had, but no women had done it. And and Chadwick said, I'm going to do this. I am going to do this. Now, before we go on with the rest of the story, really, the story came first. But since Eric and Jamie came from Bellflower, that would show up on this map, okay? See, that's where Bellflower is. Just thought I'd show you that. That's, that's kind of where they came from. Now, some of you are probably wondering and saying, why in the world would anybody move from Bellflower to Grand Rapids, right? It's green there, and that's not pretend. That's real green, and it's beautiful in Bellflower. But let me tell you why. Let me tell you why Bellflower is not as good as grand rapids first of all there's traffic it's busy 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 there is traffic 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 all over the place and in the water are sharks and killer whales and that's not to mention the mudslides and the earthquakes and the tsunamis and the lions and tigers and bears and so i convinced eric and jamie they got to say over and over again grand rapids is good bellflower is bad <laughs> it's really good to live in no bellflower is wonderful but we're glad that they're here anyway i actually do have a point here okay it's 21 miles Uh, And and I'm not saying L.A. is heaven, okay? But anyway, so it's 21 miles, Catalina Island to to L.A., all right? So here's what happens. Chadwick decides she's going to swim. 4th of July, 1952. It's 21 miles. She starts off. She goes. Honestly, about halfway through, they had to get out guns and shoot sharks that were getting too close to her. So there are sharks there, okay? They they, they had to shoot the sharks. The, The waves came up. She's doing it. She's fine. She's making it. She's strong. But you know what happened? Somewhere towards the end, about 18, 19 miles in, Fog came in. Fog rolled in. And she couldn't see the shore anymore. And they said, we're close. Keep going. And she said, I can't go anymore. I'm just wiped out. I can't make it. And they were like, come on, we're so close. But she said, I can't see it. I could see it before I can't see it anymore. And she ended up climbing into the boat at mile 20 and a half. A half mile away. And she quit. Because she couldn't see where she was going anymore. And and without that vision, without that hope... She didn't make it. End of the summer, same year, she tried it again. Got to the same place and the fog rolled in. But this time she had put in her mind a picture of, of, of again, this is where L.A. is not heaven, but you know what I mean, of, of the California Southern Coastline. She had it there. She knew her goal. She knew where she was going. And that gave her the strength and she made it. And I think that picture is what thinking about heaven does for us. Thinking about heaven doesn't just kind of make us not care about the earth. But what it does is it says, okay, I know where God is taking me. And so I can stay faithful today. I know. And I hold on to that picture. I hold on to that picture of someday all things being made new, of everything being made right. And that gives me the strength that I need. Grace is that power that is also a promise. A promise of what is to come. And so those are the three faces of grace. It is pardon. It is a washing away of all my sins. It is power to live today. And it is a promise that one day all things will be made new. God is full of grace. I've been preaching here at Hillside somewhere between 22 and 24 years, depending on when you start and and so on. But full time, almost 22 years now. And as I think about what I try to say, What I want to say to you this morning is the most important thing I can say to you. It's grace to you. If there is one thing I can give you, it is grace. If there is one thing I can teach you, it is grace. If there is one thing I hope you understand, it is grace. Friends, grace is the center of who God is. He doesn't set aside his power, but he shows his power by forgiving us, by making us new, and by bringing us to that place. So my prayer today as every day for each one of you is that you can taste and experience and know God's grace, grace to you. Let's pray together. Father, just pray that you'll take the words as weak as they were that I've spoken. And just crack open our hearts and fill us with your grace. Remind us of your pardon, your power, and your promise, Father. Just remind us that it's okay, even though it's all wrong, because you are a God full of grace. And, Father, give us joy. Give us joy in knowing that you are not just all-powerful, but that you are full of grace. That you are not just all-knowing, but you are full of grace. That you are not just unchanging, but you are full of grace. And give us the strength until that day when all things are made new, And we live in the fullness of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting blessing. Once again, following our service, there are going to be some folks from Hillside in the prayer room there to that side of the auditorium. If you want to talk with somebody or pray with somebody, they'd be happy to meet with you. People of God, as we go from this place, may the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with each and every one of us. And may we live in that grace. Amen.